Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, they are new programs based on an old concept. Basic minimum income, also known as guaranteed income or universal income, has been touted by 18th century philosopher and political activist Thomas Paine, 2020 presidential candidate Andrew Yang, and civil rights leader Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Here's Reverend King in his 1967 speech, The Other America. It seems to me that the civil rights movement must now begin to organize for the guaranteed annual income, begin to organize people all over our country and mobilize forces so that we can bring to the attention of our nation this need and this something which I believe will go a long, long way toward dealing with the Negro's economic problem and the economic problem with many other poor people confronting our nation. Critics say guaranteeing income with no strings attached cash payments is not a long-term solution to lift the economically fragile, but that's becoming harder to dispute as successful pilot programs, including some in greater Boston, are inspiring widespread support across the nation. Later in the show, comic books have long been considered reading for kids. But a local exhibit at Boston University sets out to debunk that myth. I wanted people to come in and see things from the newspaper comics. And I wanted people to see superhero comics. And I wanted people to see very serious comics. And, you know, I wanted wanted it to really be about the idea of this is an expressive medium and not specifically a genre. Cartoonist Joel Christian Gill argues comics are for everyone. His exhibit, Comics is a Medium, Not a Genre, illustrates why and highlights Black artists on the forefront of today's growing comic universe. But first, joining me now, Sadia McConvo, a representative for Mayors for Guaranteed Income. Welcome, Sadia. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you. Also with me, Cambridge Mayor Sambal Siddiqui. Hello. Great to be here. Great to have you. And Victor, a participant in the Cambridge Rise Guaranteed Income Program. Welcome, Victor. Thank you. All right. I'm going to start with you, Sadia, um, because a point that should be made is that all of these pilot programs, and there are many now because there is much more interest in guaranteed income, um, look different. So first, uh, talk about the widespread growth of guaranteed income, both pilot programs and I guess some that are permanent. And then how do they look different? Sure. So 
five years ago, this was an idea that was relatively untested in the modern world uh, for some historical context, uh, which some people might be surprised to hear because now it's viewed as such a progressive idea to give people cash. We almost had a guaranteed income under Richard Nixon. And it was uh, when things were a little bit less polarized when it came to welfare and the social safety net. Uh, unfortunately, um, it was one of, you know, they say a broken clock is right twice a day. And it was one of the few things I think that President Nixon would have done that would have been great for the country. It didn't make it out of Congress, but we were quite close to having it. But then it was relatively untested for about half a century. Uh, and then we saw a couple pilot programs springing up uh, in locations such as Stockton, California, the first major city to file for bankruptcy, and Jackson, Mississippi, where there was a program specifically uh, targeted to Black women living in extreme poverty. And at the time, five years ago, people thought this was radical. And then, of course, as we all know, the pandemic hit, and there was some much-needed empathy that was cracked open among people of seeing that many Americans, millions of Americans, I would venture to say uh, most Americans, are living one paycheck away from a financial catastrophe. And so then a huge interest in guaranteed income programs was born out of the pandemic. That is where Mayors for Guaranteed Income started in June of 2020. We started with 11 mayors. We are now up to more than 100. And as you mentioned, a lot of these programs look different. So uh, there are programs that are geared towards parents. There are programs that are geared towards the uh, the post-prison industrial complex population. Uh, there are programs that are just generally targeted by income. Uh, there's one in Tacoma that is specifically for people who don't qualify for traditional benefits because they make $30 over the income threshold. Uh, so there is a range of different ways of testing this idea that are happening right now all over the country. And uh, the concept is really to see from the research, uh, where does it work best? For whom does it work best? And while we're testing those things, uh, each of the cities and each of the programs is focused on the population in their particular area that needs these services the most. So around here in this area, I think uh, maybe if people have heard about it at all, they may have heard about it because of Chelsea Eats, um, because that got quite a bit of attention when it started in Chelsea, obviously. And um, it was a very small pilot program. Now they're they've opened it up for the second one. And it was a weighted lottery. And to your point about it depends on the demographic populations, uh, they weighted the lottery for uh, people with children under 18, disabled residents, veterans, seniors, uh, 65 and more, and families who were ineligible for other forms of government assistance. And a part of that group were undocumented workers. Uh, Chelsea is a uh, an essential worker uh, community for for all intents and purposes. So there are a lot of people there doing essential work, but there some of them are undocumented. And people may remember that during um, the COVID uh, federal support, that um, there was none for people who may have been working but were undocumented. So. I wanted to just uh, give my listeners a chance to hear from somebody who was in that position and got a chance to be a part of the Chelsea Eats program. This is from the documentary Raising the Floor, and it's about the impact Chelsea Eats had on its local residents. And here is a recipient describing the benefits of the debit card. 
Para mí bastante, me lo están dando, para mí bastante. Pero claro que eh, la necesidad es mayor, pero bueno, yo con lo poco que hago yo puedo ayudarme, ¿ve? Este, y la tarjeta me ha servido para completar, por lo menos para completar mi pago de mi, mi habitación, me, me ha servido. Este, por eso le digo, para mí es bastante, porque yo no lo tenía. Now she says, for me it's quite enough. They're giving it to me, but of course the need is greater. But with the little I earn, I can manage. The card has helped me. At least it's helped me supplement my earnings to pay rent. And that's what I can say for me. It's a big help because I didn't have it before. So Mayor Siddiqui of Cambridge, um, the program in Cambridge is called Cambridge Rise. Uh, give us a background of how long it's been there, uh, how many people, and what is the demographic group that you are including uh, in that program? Sure. So I joined Mayors for Guaranteed Income in late um, 2020. Uh, and by February 2021, I had convened a group of nonprofits, uh, Cambridge Community Foundation, our Cambridge Economic Opportunity Community, uh, just to start up together our housing authority. And we came together to launch Cambridge Rise, uh, reincurring income for success and empowerment which since September 2021 has been providing $500 a month in uh, cash to 130 single caretaker-led households. Uh, and that was a 1.6 million pilot, uh, which uh, was funded through Mayors for Guaranteed Income, our foundation, Harvard, MIT, various companies, and uh, private individual, individuals and foundation. And the pilot phase actually ends this month um, and uh, is being evaluated by the Center for Guaranteed Income Research at Penn. So that's a little information about Cambridge Rise. Now, as I understand it, um, you're going to go into another iteration of the program, or will you have to wait until you see what the research tells you? No, uh, we are basically since uh, last April, we did announce that we would be working um, with many of the same partners uh, and using ARPA money, American Rescue Plan Act dollars, uh, to provide 500 a month uh, for 18 months to uh, every Cambridge family household with children, um, at least one of who has to be uh, at or under 21 years old. Um, and this will uh, be starting in uh, hopefully late uh, March. Uh, so we didn't have to really look at and wait for research. I think um, we knew through our storytelling component um, how impactful the $500 a month was already having. And um, as you know, the research also indicates uh, from various other pilots how important um, this these payments have been to uh, helping families uh, who are who are in need and helping them. You know, whether it's they've had to suffer through COVID losses or, or any other financial losses. It's been helping them uh, towards a path to economic mobility. So uh, we had knew we wanted to expand. and We were looking at just how we were going to do it. And so this um, is exciting. Yeah, I want to uh, emphasize that you you have the ARPA funds, but also Harvard and MIT donated $100,000. Some, some might ask why. I mean, they had to be motivated both of those institutions to see that there was uh, a, something that was that was going to be successful about this program. Do you, can you speak for those institutions' interests? Sure. You know, when they we approached them about uh, Cambridge Rise, uh, they 
were immediately excited. Uh, the representatives who we spoke to, um, you know, we we talked a lot about the history for, and we talked about how cash is uh, so effective and, and immediate. And, and they also have a history of helping us with uh, the city with Mayor's um, Disaster Relief Fund, which we had activated for COVID. Um, and that also was money, private donations that went um, as direct cash assistance to residents in need. So for them, this was, uh, you know, a no-brainer. They saw how already some of that, the cash um, influence that they helped us with had been impactful in the past. And now with the, the effort, with the national focus, the Mayor's for Guaranteed Income, um, they wanted to get involved and be a part of the, that initial pilot. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Sadia McConville, a representative from Mayors for Guaranteed Income, Cambridge Mayor Sambal Siddiqui, and Victor, a participant in the Cambridge Rise Guaranteed Income Program. We're discussing the rising popularity of guaranteed income programs across the country. So um, someone who can speak directly to the impact of the program is Victor. Welcome, Victor. And um, you're a part of Cambridge Rise. That is the program in Cambridge. I know that you're a single father of two. How old are your kids? Um, And how did you learn about Cambridge Rise? My daughter is 14 and my son is 10. And I learned it through it because I used to utilize the food pantry and do my taxes at Inman Street. So that's how I learned through it. It's, it's been extremely helpful for me. Like for men to get child support from women is like extremely difficult. It's like out of the ordinary. So when this program came into my life, that was like the child support that I was missing to help me like do the essentials that I needed to do for my kids. So go back and uh, talk to us about what it was like before Cambridge Rise and then uh, tell me after Cambridge Rise, what made a difference? So before Cambridge Rise, uh, I had just went through a divorce and got custody of my kids and I was in debt beyond belief. I couldn't get no assistance anywhere. Everywhere I turned to, being that I was a single dad and the court orders were still in, in the court system, I wasn't entitled to a lot of assistance. The courts is still in, in process, so I still don't qualify for any of the assistance that other people would normally get. After Cambridge Rise, I was able to like pay some of these bills that the, the were beyond belief because the interest kept piling up. The interest, like, it doesn't stop. They don't, the interest don't care if you're working or you're not working. It's going to still keep coming. And when I got approved for that, like, I cried. I was, like, so happy that I'm going to be able to get this type of money and not report it to housing because if I would have had to report it to housing, then out of the 500, I was only going to be able to get, like, 300 because a third of it goes to rent. So, the $200 extra was like beyond belief. I'm able to take my kids out when whenever we get a chance to. I'm able to like put gas in the vehicle to take my kids to, to and from school. And like, it, it's like hard to explain, but it was a wonder, wonderful thing that happened to me. And I, I thank God for it. So are you working full time, Victor, part time? So I'm not able to work now because the courts, is, is, my case is like complicated. The courts between me and, and my son's mother are 
is still in litigation, and I have to accommodate her work schedule. So now her work schedule fluctuates and it changes from week to week. So I can't get a steady 40 hours a week because I have to change my schedule. So I started a job and then a week later I had to tell my boss I had to take this day off, this day off because she works these days and it made it even harder. So until the courts don't make a decision on who's going to have custody of my son. And this is a two-year thing now. I've been in the courts for two years now with my son. So until the courts don't make that final decision that I can, like, set up a work schedule, like, I just do odd jobs here and there. So it makes it really hard for me to have, like, a steady income. And the RISE program was my steady income that I can depend on every month. I knew that every month I was going to get the $500, and I was able to pay the light bill, and I was able to pay this bill and not worry about about my work this week because I got to accommodate her work schedule. So it w- it was like such a blessing to receive this. So a lot of people, um, this is this is a concept that's been debated for a while, and uh, one of the criticisms uh, has long been that participants like yourself, if if you you are given a cash payment, are just going to use it frivolously and will also use it as a reason not to work. And I'd love you to respond to that. So to use it frivolously. It would be with anything. So even if I was working and I was spending my money frivolously, I would do that with my income working. I have two kids. I can't spend money like I want to. I have to make sure that they're fed. I I have to make sure that my daughter has hygiene products. I have to make sure that her hair can get done every couple of months. Like these are things that I'm responsible for. I have two kids. For me to use it like in ways that I don't need to, I never used money in, in the manners before. So that's not a thing for me. And as far as like keeping me from work, I wish that I can get out my house for eight hours a day. Being a single parent is hard. And that's a job in itself. Laundry, cooking, homework, like that's a full-time job without any benefits. I don't have the help of, of like daycare or yeah. relatives or anything like that. So it's that's a full-time job in itself. And and I wish I can leave this full-time job and go to another <laughs> full-time job for eight hours where I don't have to worry about like folding laundry and making sure that, like that's a that'll be like a vacation for eight hours. Got it. So back to you, Mayor Siddiqui. Now you've heard Victor. I know you've heard other stories um, like his. What can you say to the naysayers? And when I say naysayers, I'm really talking about policymakers, many of whom are still not convinced that this is the way to help people gain some economic security. Yeah, I think, you know, to the naysayers, um, I would say that if you actually look at the spending and the data, you'll see that um, individuals are spending money on essentials, whether that's diapers, that's cleaning supplies, that's personal care products. Um, It's uh, going to retailers and getting packaged food and produce. And, you know, I think the the pundits, you know, will will criticize and, you know, I think ask this question of, you know, is this actually uh, making a difference in people's lives? And to that, I always say, you know, you hear from these families who are um, in really hard circumstances and this money is a lifeline and helps them through uh, incredibly rough patches and keeps them stable. Uh, and I think that whether that's housing stability, that whether that's some financial stability uh, to help them 
from giving, going deeper into poverty. And so I think based on that alone, uh, making sure that we don't have kids who are going hungry, right? Uh, that we have, we are supporting our children. There, that's that's kind of the, the angle that I always take, um, and say you're actually you're helping families um, stay stable and uh, remain housed, remain fed, remain clothed, and also help them on a ideally a path to economic mobility. So, Sadia, um, when you're talking about this research. Part of the research is actually tracking how participants use the money. And what has that research uh, shown? The mayor spoke a little bit about it, but do you have some details about what that research has shown? I do. Yeah. We recently released a data dashboard that goes across more than 30 pilots, uh, includes several thousand recipients, and the aggregate data shows that most of the funds are spent on groceries at retailers like Walmart, Target, where people can get everything from diapers to groceries to household goods. Uh, a lot of the money is spent on tr transportation costs. Uh, as we know, um, you know, something we haven't really talked about yet is that um, people are dealing with massive inflation right now. So uh, the cost of gas is going up. Um, people need their cars to be able to get to and from work. Uh, another big category was housing and utilities, and then some miscellaneous things like loan repayments, medical expenses, tuition. And one thing I just also want to proactively combat, because this is something we hear from the naysayers, uh, is um, that less than 1% of the money was spent on tobacco or alcohol. So it's not even statistically significant how little it was. Uh, and that is something that we hear so often. So as Mayor Siddiqui said, if you actually look at the data, people are spending this money on what all the rest of us would be spending this money on. And I think that that is sort of, you know, speaks to a bigger point that there is this assumption in America that people who are living in poverty or struggling to stay in the middle class somehow spend money differently than those of us who are privileged enough to be in the middle class securely or upper class. Uh, and it's just not true. And I, I think that that is, you know, part of the narrative shifting that we are trying to do at Mayors for a Guaranteed Income around this idea that people who are wealthy are wealthy because they work harder, people who are poor are poor because they do so by choice or because they're lazy. And none of that is true. As Victor said, he wants to work. People want to work. Uh, nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be um, stressed out and worried about whether they can feed their children or keep the lights on. So I do think that, you know, beyond just the, the sort of statistics at the granular level, which do show that this works and that people are using the money as it is intended to be used, that we also need to think about a paradigm shift in our policy in America and what kind of a country we want to be. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Sadia McConville, a representative from Mayors for Guaranteed Income, Cambridge Mayor Sambal Siddiqui, and Victor, a participant in the Cambridge Rise Guaranteed Income Program. We're talking local minimum income programs and the growing widespread support for guaranteed income. 
Now, back to you, um, Sadia, because one of the points you made, which is really important, is that, you know, it looks it can look differently, guaranteed income. And so um, many would describe the child tax credit that was in play during COVID um, as a guaranteed income program. And if folks are not familiar with that, it was it went to parents so that they could and by the way, they could use it as they needed to, to sort of help them during the toughest times of COVID for a lot of different reasons. I'm going to allow you to to talk about some of those. But here's the bottom line. Um, in, a short, in that short period of time where these parents were able to be enrolled in that program, uh, child poverty rate went down 40%. Now, it was not re-upped afterwards, and so therefore we're back where we started. But um, that seems to me to be a kind of clear example of what some extra money can do um, for these uh, particular constituencies. So, Sadia, talk about that, if you would. Yes, absolutely. Uh, The expanded child tax credit, as you said, truly was a guaranteed income at scale at a national level. It went to almost every parent in America. And as you said, it slashed child poverty at record rates. We've never seen anything happen so quickly. And it also, which I think is uh, a really important part of guaranteed income programs, it did um, even more so for black and brown children. So the Poverty rate was slashed about in half for those kids. Um, so I, I am very drawn to the racial justice elements of a guaranteed income and the equity building elements that are contained within it. Um, and then when we saw it expire in uh, January, the first month that we didn't have it, child poverty spiked more than 40%. And so it's really frustrating as an advocate to look at those numbers and honestly still have naysayers because what what is there out there that uh in a policy sense could have such an impact um in such short amount of time and when you look at how much money it costs you know the amount of money that the irs says that the wealthy and corporations um shirk out on every year is to the tune of about a trillion dollars a year um is what it costs and you know something like this costs a tenth of that and we also have seen research has shown that the return the benefit um the cost benefit on this is that there is a 10 time return on the cost of this because of things that we don't have to do later on down the line. And so many of our anti-poverty programs are about undoing damage. And really, cash is about preventing the damage from happening in the first place. And so if you're giving children a head start, if you're giving their parents some breathing room, the ability to put groceries on the table, the ability to buy them new clothes for school, um, those are things that are really uh transformative and it's also just something that is so lacking in this country because we have such frankly terrible supports for parents and this was something that finally put us at the level uh that uh most developed countries are at when it comes to taking care of families so you know i think it is 
frustrating when we have conservatives say, you know, that they're the party of family values. Uh, and here we have something that is undeniably really the best thing that we have done in this country for families ever. Um, and yet, you know, we couldn't renew it for another year. So our hope certainly is that it is still on the table uh, and that ultimately we do want a federal guaranteed income. And that for us starts with making something like the expanded child tax credit permanent. So I want to emphasize uh, what Victor has said, what you've said, what Mayor Siddiqui has said about uh, making a difference with um, relatively small amount of money to make a difference. This is 47-year-old Jorzella Turner. She had her first child at 15, raised four more in the midst of housing struggles and financial setbacks. She joined her guaranteed income program in Gary, Indiana, and says it gave her room to breathe. What may seem small to others is huge, very huge to me. It made a difference in my life. Every cent I get goes to rent, utilities, life insurance, all that. I mean, you know, just the basics. This is stuff that we can't live without. So it's like it wasn't any wiggle room. This gave me wiggle room. When you hear that, Mayor Siddiqui, what do you think? You know, it's powerful. And it's exactly what I've been hearing from so many of the recipients. Uh, and so, you know, I think making policy and working on this and really hearing it from these the residents and the recipients uh, and knowing how big of an impact it is, it's definitely motiv motivated me to keep uh, pushing uh, for guaranteed income. And that's why, you know, we've we decided to expand it without, you know, really needing to see any uh, of the data. And I think uh, we're really glad to be doing this as a city. So, Victor, some people uh, feel as though there's a stigma placed on persons like yourself who are in uh, program in the guaranteed uh, income programs, like they're, you know, getting away with something. It's like uh, not a hand up necessarily, they say, but a hand out. How do you respond to that? You know, there's a saying, walk a mile in my shoes and you see the difference. But my response to that is that you don't know what a person is going through mentally. And finances can really break a person down mentally. Stress, like that affects your whole family unit. It's not a handout. It's a hand up. And my kids are the ones that are going to reap the rewards of this because, like, I'm not stressed over, like, I'm growing out of a pair of sneakers and me not being able to buy him a pair of sneakers. I'm not stressed over him wanting to take lunch to school that day or wanting to buy Valentine's candies for his classmates. Like, these are things that if I'm stressed, I'm not able to function. And if I'm not able to function, it affects them. So this is like an investment towards our kids, like I heard someone say on, on the station. So like if the parents are doing a lot better and can breathe easier, then it makes it a lot easier to raise these kids healthy. Mentally, not just physically, mentally, because a lot of mental stuff is like affects all areas of your life. It affects all areas of your life. And if I'm not stressed and I can breathe easier, then I don't take no aggravation out on my kids. I don't easily get upset when something don't go right. 
I'm able to deal with life as it comes because I don't have that financial burden that I would have had if I wasn't receiving this. So, Sadia, we've got Victor, we've got Drizella, you just heard from her, um, the young mother in uh, the Raising the Floor documentary with firsthand experiences. We have the research that you've talked about. We have what uh, Mayor Siddiqui has experienced, and we see the growth of these programs across the country. So is it happening anyway with, I mean, obviously the best possible solution to this for people who have advocated for it, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., would be for the federal government to take this on because then we have an understanding that, you know, everybody has a chance to participate. But right now it's limited to these cities as they have gotten on board. Um, Do you see what's happening with the the pilots uh, pushing this into a larger scalable program, um, even if it's not federally funded, but ends up being locally funded? Yes, absolutely. We are working on all cylinders. We don't see it as an either or, but we see it as a yes and. So as you said, ultimately, the federal uh, legislation is our goal. But in the meantime, as we concurrently work on that, we are also working on this at different levels. So you have something like Cambridge, Uh, going from a pilot to expanding to every family in poverty uh, who needs it. You have the state of California allocating $35 million in their budget to go towards guaranteed income programs. You have the state of New York passing legislation to make sure that people's benefits aren't affected by guaranteed income programs. So we we see this as a multi-pronged strategy. We are operating at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level. We just last week in D.C. launched counties for a guaranteed income to add to that sort of ground level push. You know, really, our theory of change is that. Uh, the, the political will for this will be built from the ground up. It is not something that is going to trickle down. And I think that that is true for most transformative programs that we see is that, you know, they they say that cities are the laboratories of democracy for a reason, because you can test things out at a smaller level, show that they work, and then you're able to have proof of concept so that you can take it to the federal level. Uh, and I think also just to go back to something that Victor said, I think that this is, again, really about shifting how we view policy in America at all levels of government. Because right now we look at economic policy and it's quite literal. We are only looking at the tangible financial effects of it. And that is how we judge something. And yes, of course, I understand why it's important to look at employment numbers and what people spend the money on. But I think that something that we also need to add to that is the idea of mental health, is the idea of the the sort of piling on effects that come from having this room to breathe. We hear that across every single pilot is that people say, I can sleep better. I can breathe. I feel like a better parent. You know, so when we talk about programs that can improve communities, that can help people uh, in a long-term way, I really can't think of anything that we have in this country that is comparable to both uh, building financial security and also building peace of mind and strengthening our communities and our families. Well, I think that's a great place to leave the conversation. I want to thank you all for joining me. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sadia Makanvo is a representative for Mayors for Guaranteed Income. Sambal Siddiqui is the mayor of Cambridge. And Victor is a participant in the Cambridge Rise Guaranteed Income Program. Coming up, an exhibit of comic books that aren't just for kids in a stunning curated collection of almost 200 works, Boston University's Joel Christian Gill makes the argument that the medium is an untapped channel for powerful storytelling. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. 